In this passage, Jesus sets before his disciples a worldwide task. It's a big task that he sets before them. And you know, when he did this, he was not doing it at a time when there were no problems, when there were no issues. All around the world, there was oppression, there was, there was abuse, there was theft, there was poverty, there was slavery. Each fam, and families were broken apart, families were struggling, and individually, people still trying to struggle through and figure out what to make of this world. He was dealing in a time in which there were difficulties, but yet he said, in spite of all those difficulties that you face collectively in the world and you individually, yet here is a task for you. How are they going to do it? What was the solution to get them moving? How would he encourage them to go into the world and make a new world that was realigned with love to God and love to one another? Well, this text gives us the answer. And I'm just going to have three relatively short points, I think, that are the death, the life, and the power. And so hopefully that will help us to understand what is going on in this text. So how did Jesus teach them to engage in this worldwide task? Well, first of all, he came and did it with his life. Notice that this passage says, this is what Jesus, he he said that... um, Luke, who's writing here to uh, a Gentile named Theophilus, said, I wrote another book, and that was called the book we call Luke, uh, two books prior if in our, as we have it in our New Testament, in the Bible. And there he described the life of Jesus, the things that he began to do and to say until he was brought up into heaven. And what we see in that book is that Jesus lived a life that was relying on the Father for all the things that he needed. He was trusting the Father for the things that he needed. And so as a result, he was able to go about doing good. As uh, it says later in the book of Acts, he was one who went about doing good out of that strength that he received from his faith in his heavenly Father. But he not only lived it, he taught it. He was a teacher. And he walked around the land of Israel and he was teaching the people what it meant to trust the Father and to live a life of love that flows out of the faith that has a confidence in God. But then something happened. At the, after several years of teaching, after several years of living this way, of relying on his father, what happened? He was cruelly betrayed. He was handed over. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was mocked. He was scorned. And then, and then sentenced to death unjustly, nailed to the cross, And then he died. And it seemed like this hope that people began to see of a new world, of a new life, was snuffed out. And the hope seemed to be gone. But three days later, the light burst forth. The light of the angels from heaven came down. And they rolled away the stone that sealed the tomb. And Jesus came out in glory. And hope was alive again. The darkness could not conquer it. Oppression, sin, injustice, the vile and the evil would not have the last word. The last word was going to be Jesus is risen and he is conquering. And so what did he do? Jesus gave many and varied proofs that he was alive. And why did he have to do this? 
Our first thought might be that because the disciples may not believe it, and they may have been, well, we want to believe that he's risen from the dead, but we need to show us the proofs. But one of the reasons, one of the things we need to understand is the apostles were not looking for the resurrection of the dead. You'll find when Jesus talks about rising from the dead, they were like, we don't know what you're talking about. He had to show them that he was actually going to be alive and that what they were not looking for had actually come true. They weren't under any illusions that Jesus was going to rise. They weren't, it wasn't just rising from their hopes because they wanted it so bad, they weren't even thinking about it. And so Jesus came to them and gave them many proofs that, they were, that he was alive. And these proofs were so convincing that almost all of these apostles and many others gave their lives rather than deny the truth of what they knew that Jesus was alive. But Jesus, while he was alive, he didn't just say, I'm alive, and that's it. He told them about what this means. He said he spoke about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the new world that we're looking for. We say, thy kingdom come. We're saying we want a world, not that's built on the pride and sinfulness of man, but on submission to the will of God in every area of life. That it's reshaped and reformed in our nation, our families, in our businesses, in our interaction with one another, in accordance with the will of God rather than our own pride and self-seeking. So he spoke about that and he gave them the task that they were to be the, the, the ones who were showing forth the kingdom, the manifestation of the kingdom in this world, in every area of life. Now after that, they might have said, well, let's get at it. We've got a big task. Let's see the kingdom of God coming. But he said, not yet. Not yet. He told them to wait. He told them to wait. And sometimes that's what the Lord does with us too. We may be saying, we want to go, but something inhibits us and we're not able to move forward because the Lord is waiting for that time to work. And what he was waiting for was to send them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was going to come and show them that the task was not going to be accomplished primarily by their own efforts. Indeed, on their own, it would not be accomplished. Without me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. But that didn't mean there was no hope. There was hope. There were resources to bring about the kingdom of God. And that was the Holy Spirit. And so, let's look at that a little more closely. Jesus had a task for them. It's described in verse 8. And it says that you will be my witnesses. You are going to testify to the truth that you have heard and that you have seen. And particularly, they would testify to two things about Jesus' life. They would say that he died for our sins and that he was risen to conquer sin. What this meant is that the death of Jesus makes forgiveness possible because our sin merits death, but then Jesus received that death in our place so that all who accept him can be forgiven. But, but we also see that this is not just about being forgiven and left where we are. It's also about change and transformation. And so Jesus is raised to a new life. And we testify that Jesus doesn't just have ideas for us to implement, 
but that he has a powerful new life that can work in us and make us what he's called us to be. It is a power that comes out of his resurrection that can transform the world. And they would do this through the message that they would give. And each one of us needs to consider that we are responsible to get this message out. That we are to tell people about the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was born, who lived in this world, who suffered and died and is risen again and is coming again with power and glory. Each one of us has the, the opportunity and the privilege to take what we are hearing here and to share that with the world around us. And when we do that, it's not just giving information, but it's the power to bring about new life and forgiveness in the world. They would bring about, through this message, a new reign. Instead of the reign of Satan, sin, and death, it is the reign of Christ and life and righteousness. It is a reign of the will of God in the world that will bring about peace, new life, and hope for this life and the next. As Jesus taught us to pray, we pray, Thy kingdom come. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I try to share about Christ, it's a daunting task to bring that up in a world that may not be ready to talk about it or may not know how to talk about it. In some places in the world, it's a daunting task because you can be punished for even bringing up the name of Christ. And so... In addition, even if people are willing to talk about it, just the logistics of how do we do it is somewhat difficult. It's a daunting worldwide task. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses to this tiny group. He says, you're going to be my witnesses, you hundred or so people, in Jerusalem, a big city, in Judea and Samaria, two provinces like states that were nearby, and then to the ends of the earth. You who are here, he says, are called to think about not just your own neighborhood, not just your own family, but you're to have an international vision. If Jesus was here today to say this, he might say to us something like, you will be my witnesses in your family, in Sevierville, in your neighborhood, in Tennessee, and to the ends of the earth. Each one of us is called to have this global vision. It's the vision of our Heavenly Father. It's not just about us and our family or us and our individual life. He calls us to a greater task, a worldwide vision. And each one of us should consider how we can be involved in that and how we can participate in that. That's one of the things we've been trying to emphasize here by our recent trip to Spain. is is not just to do the work, but to give us a heart and mind that is aligned with our Heavenly Father in His vision for a transformed world. But nonetheless, it's a daunting task to say, think if I said, this group here, 100 plus people, you all are responsible to get the message out to the entire world. That would be daunting. How would we do it? Well, Jesus tells them, because you're not on your own. You have more than what you see around you. You can look at the people around you, and you can see the resources we have, and there's some. There's resources here. But there's much more than what we see with our eyes. It's what we have in the power of God. And that's what he describes as the Holy Spirit. 
the third person of the Trinity. God exists as one God, but has manifested himself in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and to the Holy Spirit is specifically ascribed the work of bringing about this message to the entire world that brings transformation. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will have resources. You will have strength. You will have ability to do it. Even if all things around you are crumbling, even if things are difficult, even if civilization fails, which it would when the Roman Empire failed, the gospel will still keep going out. What we see is when Jesus goes into heaven, he doesn't leave us orphans. He comes back to us, not in the same flesh that he had while he was on earth. That flesh is in heaven. He still has his human nature in heaven, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't leave us without resources. In fact, Jesus continues to act. It's interesting. Luke says here that the book that he wrote before was about what Jesus began to do and to say. Here he says, here we can say that Acts and the rest of the history of the church is about what Jesus continues to do and to say by his omnipotent power exercised in the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that is available to keep us on task and make us witnesses in every place, in every time, and in every situation. We may wonder, how can I go out here and be a test, a, testify to the risen Christ? You have power through the Holy Spirit. It's not just up to your, resource, to your own resources. You may be looking out and say, look at a hopeless situation or a difficult situation. And you think, how can this be any different? Well, you have power in the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. He's given us in the church incredible resources, above all the power of God himself, to bring about new life and new hope in this world. And there's two mistakes, though, that we can make when we think about bringing about a new world. One of the first mistake is that we can embalm the past. The apostles say to him, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still thinking in terms of the forms of the Old Testament, which were going to change and things were going to move on. And what we see is that he says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. But what does he say to them? But you will receive power. You may be mourning something that was lost in the past. You may be looking to a past situation that cannot be brought back. God doesn't ever say to us that he's going to bring back all the situations we had in the past that we felt comfortable in before. But what does he say to us? Where you are today, with what you need to do, you will have power. He doesn't promise to bring back the past. He promises to give us power in the present. But we also can become overly preoccupied with the future, just looking for some reality that we want later on. And that's what they start to do. They're standing up there. Well, when's he going to come back down? As he ascended into heaven. They had experienced Jesus in person. In the flesh. They weren't, that wasn't going to happen again. And it was a whole new situation. They were going to have Jesus without his physical body there. Without his humanity on earth. And they were going to have to figure out what that meant. It was going to be a big change. And what does Jesus say? 
He doesn't say, right now it'll be, we'll bring that back, don't worry. He says, I'll give you power. And one day I'll come again. But don't worry about that. You have power. You don't know what the future will bring for each one of us. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what the next year will bring. But what we do know is that we have power. We have the Holy Spirit to lead us. We know that we have a task, and we know that we have power. Both are amazing things. That God would want to bring us part, to be part of bringing His kingdom on earth, to glorify His name, and then also that He would give us the power to do it. Both of those are the result of the resurrected and ascended Christ. And so we have a mission, and we have the power, because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.